Hey everybody, I'm in the middle of a empty auditorium in an empty church and it's a little bit sad because this room is best when it's filled with God's people and there's hugging and there's the smell of coffee and there's kids running around and songs are being lifted to our great God and King. But we are in maybe the worst part of the pandemic and there's hope on the horizon, of course, but uh, we are in lockdown. And so we will be compliant with our government regulations. Um, we'll also be ready when the time comes to reopen, whatever that looks like, whether it's a maximum of 50 or a percentage of our space. Uh, but until then, um, we can still have church in our PJs. So I, I hope you're watching and I hope you're well and I hope you're healthy. I was thinking about when um, Obama was first running for president. Do you, do you remember this? It was 2008 or so. And he was getting a lot of uh, criticism as sort of... Um, well, actually, a lot of it was coming from Hillary Clinton. And some of it was that, you know, he was all flash, no substance. Like, uh, he didn't have a ton of experience at his young age. And there was, there was a lot of people who were saying, well, sure, he makes rousing speeches, but it's just words. It's really just words. Does that matter in the scheme of things? I remember how he responded. But understand this argument about words not mattering. I, the most important thing that we can do right now is to re-engage the American people in the process of governance, to get them excited and interested again in what works and what can work in our government, to make politics cool again and important again and relevant again. Don't tell me words don't matter. I have a dream. Just words. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Just words. We have nothing to fear but fear itself. Just words. Just speeches. Because the American people want to believe in change again. Don't tell me words don't matter. I think of some of the great speeches, um, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Um, you know, we will fight on the land. We will fight on the beaches. We will fight in the air. This will be our finest hour. You know, we know these words. There's one speech, one talk, one message that throughout history has been hailed as the greatest of them all. And it was given by a person who lived the greatest life that has ever been lived. And we call it the Sermon on the Mount. And it was delivered by Jesus. It was a, an address that changed the world. It's still changing it. And even if you don't consider yourself a religious, uh, a churchgoer, you might be surprised at how much of this you actually recognize. You are the light of the world. Um, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. 
where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Um, you cannot serve both God and money. Uh, who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Uh, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and not pay attention to the plank in your own eye? Um, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock. And the door will be opened. Uh, by their fruit, you will know them. Any of this sound familiar? Yeah, it all is from the Sermon on the Mount. And it also includes what has to be the most famous prayer ever uttered. See, if you, you recognize these words, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Um, and, it, and it has one of the most famous uh, morality stories included in this sermon. You ever hear, hear the one about the, about the wise man who built his house on the rock? Um, the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And when the winds came and uh, uh, the waves came, the house built on the rock stood and the one that was built on sand was destroyed. All of this and more is from the Sermon on the Mount. And, and those words still resonate today. Uh, I suppose the right words always can. And when Jesus was done, this sermon. Here was the immediate verdict. Here's what it says. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. In other words, this was actually a lot more than just a great Obama speech. This was so much more than someone pulling off a really great TED talk on YouTube. This was somebody speaking with the authority that only God himself could. This was the one Christians believe existed before time, okay? God himself in human form come to planet Earth to show us the way. Let me uh, switch gears a bit and tell you a bit of my personal inspiration for, for this series this um, deep dive into the Sermon on the Mount. Dallas Willard, is that, is that a name anyone has heard of before? Um, one of the great, wise, godly men of our generation, he passed away not too long ago, taught us a lot about the deeper life, about uh, the spirit-filled life, about life in the kingdom of God. I remember this magazine interview with him where he was asked, um, you know, Dallas, if you could do it all over again, knowing what you know now, let's say you're starting out as a pastor in your 20s. What would you do at the beginning um, to make sure you started off right? Well, he said, and I found this interesting, instead of trying to cover the whole width and breadth of, of 
everything that the Bible has to teach us, including everything Jesus uh, had to say, he said he'd really dig into and live out, you know, the condensed heart of Jesus' teaching. For instance, what does it mean, he says, to really live out one of the simplest things, Jesus said, to bless those who curse you and mistreat you? Okay? Simple. Simple, but not easy, not by a long shot. And of course, this too is found in the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus's manifesto of sorts. And I find instead of living out the greatest message ever preached, we tend to look at it like one of those inspiring speeches from history, you know, along with the Winston Churchill's and the Ronald Reagan's and the MLK's, you know, it, it's a great sermon to quote, but not really to live. Uh, it's too hard. It's too hard. It's just, so what if Jesus was actually serious? What I'm proposing today and what I'm asking you to partner with me in is really digging into these three chapters. Um, letting this message of Jesus just permeate our soul, particularly during this season, that we would um, take it in bite-sized chunks and just ground ourselves in the words of Jesus, the life-giving words of Jesus. And when I say partner, I, I mean that sincerely, that, that we would come to this, that I would come to this, not as Jonathan the teacher, that we would come to this with fresh eyes, with, with open ears, instead of feeling like, yeah, we, we heard this before, but instead um, still be surprised again and challenged again and inspired again. Let's, let's do this together and see if the words of Jesus, not just heard or read, but obeyed, uh, if, if it would actually do what it promises to do, and that is to transform lives. Are you up for that? A little context today, uh, and we'll leave it at that for now, because I, I, I want us to settle in for the long haul this year. Okay. So the phrase Sermon on the Mount isn't actually said in the Bible, interestingly enough, you know, it, it probably shows up in your Bible under a heading that maybe, a, um, you know, an editor has put in there to separate sections of the Bible. Um, it was actually St. Augustine in around the fourth century who came up with that term, the Sermon on the Mount. It, it's that block of teaching, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And that title has sort of stuck. Now, Here's the tension or the irony of the matter. It's likely the best known teaching of Jesus and arguably the least understood, certainly the least obeyed. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll keep coming back to this idea. Did, did Jesus actually teach this and expect us not to live it out? I don't think so. So, what if Jesus was really serious? You know, in the trailer to this series, 
that you saw. I, I talked about Sky Jatani's book, What If Jesus Was Serious. By the way, I wanted to come up with a different title so it didn't seem like I was, you know, ripping off a book, but, but nothing really encapsulated the heart, the intent behind this series. So even though we're not like sticking to his book, I highly recommend it. It is an easy read. It is a profound read. There are his doodles on every page that actually, um, you know, help simplify this deep teaching. I mean, that's the goal of every author, I think, to make the profound accessible to all. So I, I just, I highly recommend it. Maybe you'd want to read it along with this series. But anyways, in the trailer, I shared some of the Christian pushback that he got. Um, he, he, he was told that the livability of the Sermon on the Mount, it, it's not practical. You can't live this out in 2021. It, that sort of rationalization has actually been going on for years. Albert Schweitzer, of all people, argued that Jesus was making these exceptional demands in the Sermon on the Mount um, because of the exceptional times. Like Schweitzer thought that Jesus himself was actually expecting the end of history. So he told his disciples to make these radical kinds of sacrifices, like leaving their possessions, like loving their enemies. That was his theory. There's a dispensationalist view that says this teaching is, is actually more predictive. It's not for us today. It's for us in, in the future, you know, in this kingdom future, um, what they'll call the millennium age. I guess, you know, you could talk yourself into believing the Sermon on the Mount isn't relevant for today. And if you do that, you can be pretty sure there'll be zero desire or effort to actually live out this amazing message. But what if Jesus was serious? Uh, what if this applies to Canada in 2021? What if it applies to NAC more than ever? You know, I spent uh, over half my life in Alberta where there are real mountains, right? Uh, I'd go to this prayer retreat every year in Banff. What a place to pr pray. Uh, the mountains are majestic and intimidating and glorious. So when I thought about the Sermon on the Mount, uh, this is the kind of mountains I'm, I'm picturing, right? Well, I go to Israel a few years later. I explore all these famous mountains found in, in Scripture, Temple Mount, the Mount of Olives, uh, Mount Carmel, uh, Mount Hermon, where most people believe that the transfiguration of Jesus took place. And uh, they're not the kind of mountains like the Alberta Rockies. They are uh, a raise in the topography for sure. Not exactly intimidating, uh, very hikeable. Uh, but in a sea level country like Israel, these so-called mountains would have stuck out and they would have been common landmarks for people. But these locations also would have provided great gathering places, right? Like, um, like when Jesus taught and fed the 5,000, which, you know, some believe might have been as many as 15,000. It says that 
He sat on a mountainside. Well, um, it acts as a natural amphitheater for acoustics. Uh, it acts as natural uh, sight lines for f like a stage, right? Um, and here's how the whole passage starts in, in Matthew 5, verse 1. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. And his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. So Jesus does something uh, that might be a little foreign to us. Uh, it specifically says that he sat down to deliver his message. That would have been right in line with the rabbinic custom to sit when speaking with authority, okay? In these days, that had more of an aura of authority than standing. Now, like nowadays, preachers, teachers, politicians uh, tend to stand, you know? It's like stand on the soapbox, stand on the platform, um, stand in the middle of the room and assert your, you know, expertise, right? Now, you may say, hold on, wait, uh, what about when Jesus began his ministry in Luke 4? And it says he stood up in the synagogue and he read that prophecy from Isaiah. Well, keep reading. It says that he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and then sat down. And when everyone's eyes were on him, that's when Jesus said, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Okay, so sitting actually sent a signal to all who were witnessing this stunning moment. It, it sent a signal of authority. Um, and it would have sent a signal to those on the mountainside as well. For us, it's, it's one more sign, one more little nugget or symbol that these are the authoritative words of God himself. The words of Jesus indeed are to be taken seriously. What's the purpose of the Sermon on the Mount? I, I think for some, it's kind of just a greatest hits collection, like the random wisdom of Jesus. Here's what I think Jesus is showing us. Um, he's painting a picture of the kind of living, the kind of character, the kind of conduct that all followers, all disciples of Jesus should and can exhibit through the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, Sky Jatani's pushback that he got from that class w was right to an extent. The law can't produce this kind of living, this kind of righteousness, because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body, like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirements of the law would be fully satisfied for us, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit or live according to the Spirit, as, as some translations say. And this Sermon on the Mount is not a, 
a Holy Spirit teaching per se. Jesus doesn't actually once mention the Holy Spirit, but it's so obvious to me that this is what the Spirit-filled life looks like. Uh, and we're going to walk through every word. And, and as counterintuitive and countercultural as much of this is going to seem to us, not only will living this sermon be transformative for us as Christ followers, I can't help but think that our society is desperate for, for precisely the kind of integrity, gentleness, um, otherness, and love that, that Jesus calls us to in this sermon. And if we want the culture to take Jesus more seriously, maybe we should first. So Lord, um, if we're really going to do this, if we're really going to live out the way you taught, we're going to find out just how counter-cultural, counter-intuitive, unpopular at times, how it rubs against all our natural human instincts. So we're going to need you, Lord. We're going to need your spirit to enable us, equip us, handhold us to live truly as obedient disciples of our great King. Help us do it, Lord, I pray. May today be the beginning of a resolution of sorts, a deeper desire to follow you in fullness, in truth, in obedience. Help us, Lord. Okay, I'm saving the worst for last. We'll close with this. I, I want to now appeal to you with the most um, audacious, lofty, demanding challenge I've ever challenged you to. This is insane. Uh, I've challenged us in the past to generosity, to tithing, uh, to pray for your unsaved neighbor, to one another each other, to fast, to read certain books of the Bible uh, together, to join Zoom groups, to serve in the church. If you're wired like me, this may be the hardest thing um, I've ever asked anybody to join me in. Now, keep in mind the keyword here is join. Okay, I'm not going to ask you to participate in anything that I myself am not prepared to do. I feel personally convicted, called, challenged to memorize the Sermon on the Mount. All three chapters. Ugh. Well, that's easy for you to say, Pastor. You're a professional Christian. Um, well, then you don't know me very well because I find memorization one of the hardest things. Uh, scripture memorization has not really been a great part of my Christian disciplines, I must confess. Uh, some of you have probably been in 
theological conversations with me. And I think I have a pretty good, you know, grasp of biblical principles and content. I am horrible at like chapter and verse. Okay. I'll say in a conversation, you know, scripture says something to this effect, you know, fill in the blank and people go, Oh, that's interesting. Where's that found? The New Testament, somewhere near the back. I was in this Pentecostal kids program, uh, sim similar to a WANA or Boy Scouts, right? It was called Crusaders, which, you know, as a group name for kids, uh, has some problematic historical issues. It'd be like calling our King's kids the Spanish inquisitors. Uh, anyways, that's for another sermon. It was a Christian group and we'd wear this uniform and this uh, sash and you'd work to get these merit badges. And uh, I'd sew them on the sash. And, and of course the keener kids would just like fill that sucker with all kinds of badges. Do you realize how shameful uh, it was to be the pastor's kid and the only kid who didn't have his Bible memorization badge. It was just too hard, man. And, uh, and our Alliance denomination actually has a really great history, uh, a tradition of youth memorization. Uh, they call it quizzing. And it's never really been a knack thing. And why am I telling you all this? I, I guess I want to confess that if this is not easy for you, I assure you, it is not easy for me either. This will be super challenging for me, but here's what I'm um, convicted about, convinced about, especially in, in the context of actually living out the essence of Jesus's teaching. We, we talk about scripture talks about having the word and the words of Jesus remain or live or dwell or abide in us. And I, I wonder if that should at least mean <laughs> that we remember those words. Here's what Psalm 119 says. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You know, growing in the image and the likeness and the character of Christ is what we call sanctification. Okay. It's a big word. It means the process by which we just become more like Jesus and, and actually more separated from the world. And Jesus Christ says that happens by the word of God. He says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Uh, you know, when this pandemic began in earnest, let's say March of last year, nobody knew that it would last this long. I think it's fair to say that almost everybody grossly underestimated how long. So we spent a lot of time sort of waiting, uh, waiting for what's next, waiting to react the, the right way. And while we waited, we looked to, you know, subconsciously maybe to soothe ourselves. We looked to uh, make sourdough bread. And we brought out the puzzles and the Sudoku and we binged a lot of series, Tiger King, uh, the Queen's Gambit, 
the boys. Um, had I known it would have lasted this long, I think I would have redeemed the time better, been more intentional about it. You know, now in 2021, I still don't know how long this will all last. But regardless, I just know I want to redeem the time better. And as for me, this is my conviction. I'm going to commit uh, this whole sermon to memory. And you know, when I stand before the Lord, uh, whenever that day comes, maybe it will be death that takes me home, or it will be the return of Jesus in the sky, whatever it is, there will be some things I just won't regret. I won't regret one penny that I gave for kingdom work. I won't regret one second I spent with my family. You know what else? I won't regret one moment of memorizing and meditating on God's word, hiding it in my heart. I think I'll only wish I'd spent more time doing it actually. This may not be for everyone. And I'm not, listen, I'm not gonna put a legalistic yoke on, on anyone. This is a matter of sort of maybe personal conscience. But if you feel inspired, the way I feel inspired, if you feel challenged, the way I feel challenged, if there is something even motivating about doing this in community together, you know, spurring one another on, then I'd invite you to join me, okay? This could take months. Uh, I bet five minutes a day though, and we'd have it licked. Uh, Glenn heard this amazing theologian, N.T. Wright, uh, talk about on his podcast recently, his challenge to memorize the entire book of Ephesians, the entire book. And by the way, do you know like uh, Jewish kids of yesteryear would memorize the Pentateuch? Memorize it. That's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Those are some hard books just to read. We got 12-year-old kids who certainly have the capacity, it turns out, to memorize like an eighth of the Bible. So, N.T. Wright suggests, um, start with one verse. Memorize that one verse. Uh, Matthew 5, verse 1. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up and sat down on a mountainside. Then, add verse 2 along with verse 1. And you keep building on and adding to what you've already memorized. You know, you'll retain it, or so I'm told. Okay, there it is. Phew. I said it. Hey, if you want to join me in this challenge, would you maybe DM me or, or, or email me? Um, just let me know somehow. I think it would be cool to have that extra level of uh, encouragement and accountability. We could, we could try to just do this together, check in on each other. Um, maybe that sort of thing would be encouraging to you. Would there be 10 of us even who might consider taking this on. Thanks for your consideration in this, all right? Let me pray. Lord, I thank you uh, for your promise in, in Timothy that all scripture is, is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness so that we as 
servants, as followers of God, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And that is especially true of, of this life-giving, life-transforming message of Jesus. May this not just be an exercise in rote memory, but in heart transformation. Would your teaching, teaching from the master, be like a yeast that, that spreads throughout our life, uh, infiltrates our heart, permeates our being? Thank you for your word, which is good and true and perfect. Amen. Amen. Hey, I want to thank you on this PJ service for engaging, listening, uh, more than watching a service, more than even memorizing scripture. You know, it's cool to be part of a church. It's great to come to church. It's awesome to be able to watch church in our PJs, but I'm going to challenge you now to go be the church. You're love people.